Right, so my name is Francho. Welcome to Propulsion. Uh, glad to have you here today. Today, I've got a, a guest that's uh, my first guest to return to the podcast, and that is Hugo uh, van Sale. Today's interview and today's discussion is really to to move on from there and to say, well, what has happened since? You know, uh, what are the new changes that's maybe come, and what are things that they now seeing now that people have, uh, you know, maybe changed their tax residency status and everything? So, very excited to get into this and to update us with the latest. This is Propulsion, the financial professional's catalyst to exponential growth. Are you a driven and ambitious financial professional, but you are finding it hard to break through to the next level? Or are you struggling to build and run your practice successfully? Join Francois Dutoy, a leading consultant and trainer, as he interviews not only the experts, but also people you have never heard of before, but who have done amazing things about how they run their practices, the challenges they face, how they overcome those challenges, their failures, which tech has improved their business, how their revenue models work, and other practical aspects. We go deep so you can learn as much as possible. And here is your host, Francois de Toy. Uh, if you go look at episode 16, we spoke with Hugo uh, about expat tax and everything that uh, people that work overseas, uh, you know, that's employed overseas and so forth, what they need to consider all the options and we also spoke about you know many different countries and how things differ from country to country and it was a very powerful it's our most successful podcast to date so go check that out as a background and Hugo van Sale, welcome back to Propulsion nice to have you here thank you Francois I really appreciate it. and um, thank you for all your supporters um, sharing that uh, podcast 16 it was really really great for my business I really appreciate what you do for us as small practitioners and, um, you know, it's so interesting when we did that, the tax law was not in place. Mm. It was announced. It was a law, but we didn't pay the tax yet. Now we're into payment. And then we were free to move. And now we're locked in. Mm. So uh, it's a total <laughs> different world. Yes. And uh, so I'm wondering how many of those expats are coming back. And um, I think we'll also a little bit address that today as the consequence of coming back. Yes. Um, because of the COVID-19 circumstances, you know, so reality, reality check. But thank you for the opportunity. It's a big pleasure, Ihu. Uh, and, you know, you, you're mentioning something there that, I mean, we could have thought about all the scenarios and all the circumstances and all the things that may or may not happen. I think the last thing that was on anyone's mind was that, guys, but what if a lockdown happens? I mean, that didn't, that didn't cross anybody's mind, you know. And, and I'm, I'm in a very good spirit, so you can hear me laughing a little bit in the background. But... You know, it's like, wow, this came completely out of left field. Uh, so I want to get into that in the podcast. But before I do that, Hugo, I just want to clarify again, if you can can help us just understand exactly, you know, what is, what is when we talk about a resident, I think a lot of people immediately think citizen, passport, you know, where do I live? Which country do I belong to? What nationality do I belong to? And when we refer to resident in these circumstances, when we talk about tax, you know, it means something completely different. So... Uh, can you can you sort of clarify about what what does it mean to be resident and then what are the if you if you're not resident what does that mean as well? Yeah, thank you, Francesca. So first, I want to just go a little bit background that we have a Central Tax Administration Act and and most definitions is found in the Tax Administration Act, and then if it's defined in that act, that definition applies to all the acts: value added tax, income tax, estate duty act. The word resident is only defined in the Income Tax Act, okay? So therefore, for Income Tax Act, what I now give to you as a resident, okay? Um, it applies to income tax, capital gains tax, and donations tax. 
for estate duty, this rule does not apply, okay? Because in the estate duty definition, there's no count of days. You only tax if the asset is physically in South Africa or if you're ordinarily resident. But now in the Income Tax Act, we have that big word, ordinarily resident. And that is someone, your lifestyle is here, you're gonna come back to um, South Africa. It's your, when you come back to the end of your journeys, okay? And it can be that you're out of South Africa for an entire year, but you're still ordinarily resident because this is where you're returning to. Your family ties are here, your wealth is here, your retirement planning is here. The other person that can be resident is someone who has been physically present in South Africa, and that's a five-year test. So in your sixth year, you look back five years and you should have been in the country in aggregate, 915 days, 915 days, each year, 91 days. So an average 183 if you divide 915 by five. And then in the sixth year, you must be here 91 days. Then it takes you back to the first day of the tax year where ordinarily resident can be in the middle of the year. Practical example, you're a South African, you marry a British wife, she comes to South Africa, she arrives here 1st of July, you get married during July, she becomes tax resident ordinarily on the 1st of July. She doesn't go back to the first day of the tax year. So now I have two means of becoming resident. We use for everyday speak the word tax resident, but the law just refers to resident. Why we use the word resident is to make sure that we distinguish it between a home affair residency and a, um, a resident for banking or financial exchange control purposes. Right, so now you can be a resident and pay income tax on worldwide basis because of ordinary residence or the physical presence test. But how do you break that? Because that is for the expats, the utopia is to break that residency. So there's the 330, rand, uh, rand, 330 day rule. If you're out of South Africa for more than 330 consecutive days, that's about 11 months, okay? Then you are non-resident, but only if you became resident on the 915 days. So for most born and bred South Africans, forget the 330 days. That is not your test. For the born South Africans, the only way you can break tax residency is either breaking ordinarily residence to be able to show you're not coming back to South Africa. You are making your financial footprint, your family footprint very small in South Africa. Obviously you can't be held responsible for your cousins and, and nieces and so on that's still in South Africa, but you take your wife, your children, they go to school that side, they go to uh, varsity that side, There's, you sell everything, close down the South African trust. There's a lot of indications or indicators, okay? And we have seen that formal immigration or financial immigration is one of those because it's a way to show intention. So often they can only trust your intention because how are you gonna prove you're not coming back? Uh, you need not give up your passport. You need not give up your ID. okay? The other way that you can become tax non-resident is to apply a tax treaty. So at the end of this income tax only definition, it says if you're ordinarily resident or if you are physically present, if, however, you are deemed, very important word, deemed to be exclusively tax resident, or as the treaties use the word, solely tax resident in a treaty country, and it's an income tax treaty, then you will be deemed to be non-resident in South Africa. And that then triggers the capital gains tax or the exit charge, okay? So that's resident for income tax purposes.
That's thank you, uh, Igor. That's a great explanation, and, and that now sort of just automatically leads me into my next question. Where uh, in the budget speech that happened in February, was there any like new announcements or things? Uh, I, I recall that there was something that the, the minister of finance said around. Uh, you know, f- this this whole immigration concept, uh, f- I guess they're referring to formal immigration, that they want to do away with that. Uh, you know, what is, wh- is there any, any sort of update on that or any idea of where that is going? And, and, and I'm, am I interpreting that correctly? Is, is that what they're looking at? Yeah. So, yeah, the minister, the profound statement he said, he said, we don't want you to break all ties with South Africa. Okay. So he did not stop tax treaty, tax immigration, because that is a temporary tax break. It's a deeming provision. The minute you come back, you're back into the tax system. So he tried to give the message that they are not chasing South Africans away by taxing them, okay? So he did announce that formal immigration as we know it today will be abolished by the 1st of March, okay? But it was part of a bigger picture. We have signed the African trade agreement in terms of which exchange control had to go. So interestingly enough, if you look at one of my blogs, that was first published in the budget speech of 2012, okay? So it is a document, 55 countries signed that roughly August of 2019. And for those guys dealing with um, uh, Mozambique clients, for example, you'll see that the Meticas are coming out. Terrible rates, but they also had to give in on their restrictions. So all the 55 countries in Africa that signed that agreement have to, by end of 2021, have abolished exchange control as we know it so he's just said that um it will change from a negative you can't do this to yes you can do that but you have to either get permission or place on record so it's going to be a more positive system than as it is the moment a very negative no you can't do that unless you have permission so um we don't exactly know he's only issued um or the reserve bank has issued circular two of 2020 which is on the reserve bank page restbank.coza if you're going to go and look it up and you just top in the right corner, type in um, circular two, and you'll find it. And there's not much more that was in the budget speech, but it also goes towards the um, corporates. But I think the very important part that he said to us in that speech is that he's going to equalize the playing field between tax residents and non-tax residents or people living outside of South Africa. But to get your money out, they may introduce more restrictive tests and those are gonna be anti-terrorism and source of fund tests, okay? So for example, on the people who have, um, what we know by now is if you have a pension fund and that is your source of fund, there will not be that much restrictions. But if you suddenly have 10 million Rand and you haven't filed a tax return for 10 years, then you must be able to show that source of fund. So that is very important. It can in certain sense, in certain sense be more complex. But if that was inheritance money, then it's easy. We'll show the liquidation and distribution account, and then you can take the money out. Or for many people, that would be the lump sum. He's now 55. Um, his pension fund paid out would not be 10 million probably, but um, if there's suddenly a lot of money and it's a pension fund that paid out. I just had one client that we um, did the tax immigration and his pension fund was, uh, I think, to, uh, retirement fund was 235,000. Um, and they cashed it out. One, he, he didn't need to take one third. So there are certain rules where people already in place can take out money. But that's an interplay, as you probably know, from financial industry rules and tax rules. So he had to pay tax on it, sadly, but it was a retirement. 
because it was a retirement, the full 500,000, but he only had 235, was tax exempt, but he had an other pension fund from which he retired before, so he didn't get the full 235 tax-free, but we could send his money out where he thought he needed to do formal immigration to get it out, and they just said, no, you can get it out by normal retirement. Yeah, so you're referring to the de minimis rule where uh, if the total fund value is below 249,000, then you can cash everything out of 249,500. Then you you don't have to to purchase an annuity with it. And um, yeah, so the, uh, you know, I'm just now thinking like if, uh, I mean, one, uh, who's going to police this? So is it going to be source that's going to look at these these additional tests and sort of requirements? Are they the ones that are going to administer that? Okay. I think so. Uh, Tax clearance processes through SARS, yeah. Okay. And what do you think is going to happen to the blocked accounts and those things? Will they still remain? Uh, or is those, are those kind of treatments going to fall away then? Because uh, usually when somebody financially or formally immigrates, they get blocked accounts and uh, they have to, to, to transact through their banks, etc. cetera. Uh, is that going to remain, do you think, or is that going to change? Well, that's an interesting thing, and that's going to be another impact on the RAND, okay? So he's made no announcement in the budget about that. But if you look at that agreement, the African trade agreement that was signed, okay, you may not restrict or withhold other than a tax withholding, okay, like a 15% dividends tax or a 20% dividends tax. So strictly speaking, in terms of that agreement, he must release that. Whether it's going to be a phased release or an automatic release, we don't know. Okay. So currently, you can let 20 million a year go without a further tax clearance. If you want more than 20 million, we ask. So there are certain processes, and then they want a tax good standing. So all they'll probably say is now it's not a reserve bank application. You can go directly to the tax map. But will all that blocked cash then flow overnight? That's an interesting question, because for those who monitor the RAND, that is my big concern, that it must be in a responsible way and not overnight. So the other question, for example, is a lot of people have uh, uh, what are called blocked assets that are not cash. It's, for example, a share certificate. Those you can already transfer out. Okay, There's no problem on that. But now in future, you don't need to then formally immigrate. If you then have a tax certificate of another country, he will allow you to uh, immigrate that tax certificate. And that will then cause what we call a uh, loop. And he said Reserve Bank is now in favor, not in favor, but they don't have that much objection to loops. They will then allow a loop, provided the tax man has changed these um, uh, rules. So just quickly, what is a loop? A loop is when I have a company in London, the company in London owns a company in South Africa, that company owns is trading. So one of the benefits you could have with a loop if they don't change the tax laws. If it was a vanilla case, the dividends tax is 20. Because I interposed an English company, I can bring that uh, dividend withholding tax down to 10%. And then in the UK, I'm not resident there, so I don't pay dividends tax there. So therefore, I can then have this come back into South Africa totally tax-free because our participation rule says you own more than 10% of the UK company, therefore the dividend is tax-free. So it's a very interesting, uh, you know, it's an oversimplification, but that is just what a loop structure is. So it will be interesting. It seems that they're going to move all that to the tax man. Okay, but that's cool. So we like on this podcast to oversimplify things uh, because I want people that listening to this, you know, it's not necessarily all professionals or doing what, what you're doing or what I do. So we, I want people to understand. So doing that is fantastic. Yeah. I like it. So, so keep doing that. Um, there was some, some other thing in the budget mentioned about the, uh, and most people would know about this because there wasn't a lot of changes or a lot of new updates, but the one thing that did jump out was the 
the increase in the exemption limit for Section 10102 uh, from yep. 1 million to 1.25 million. And, uh, you know, is that, I mean, that move, do you have any idea why they did that? Is it because of all the pushback they're getting? Uh, is it because of the rant that weekend? Uh, or, you know, why did they do that? And, and is it really bringing any relief uh, from that point? Well, well, there's one there's one specific group that one has to probably give credit to because the answer to them was we will annually review that, and that was the tax pe um, petition group TPG. Okay, um, in one of the replies they said this one million will be regularly um, updated. So I think that they probably and it's the pressure as you say, and the one that got that answer in their submission um, during the process I think in 2018 already. So this was a promise long time ago. Is the, is the 1.25 adequate? Um, the day of the budget, it was already inadequate. Now with the rand falling, it is really so bad that we, if you look at the statistics, my clients, the typical client who would not have been subject to this um, capped exemption was a um, crew on a um, uh, uh, travel agency, you know, whether he was a, a, a tour guide or whether he was crew on board a ship those guys were roughly on 1.1 million, just below 100,000 Rand in Rand value per year. So when it went to 1.25, it really took about 60% of those people out. Your purses wow. and so on, they were above, but your normal crew was out. Now with the Rand collapsing, they're back in. So on that day, we were all happy. We thought it could have been higher, but now today, I must tell you, it made no difference, yeah. sadly. Yeah, yeah, well. Well, uh, I must say, so at least there was some increase because imagine it was still at a million, then that impact would have been. Yeah. And that, that was two of the things or one of the, th the two things that, that everybody is talking about. You know, you have this exemption limit of a million. It sounds like a lot, but it's not that much really. Why? Because we take into account fringe benefits. And then what about the exchange rate on top of that? And, and those are the two things that everybody's like, that's, that's where the big issue comes from with this, whatever the limit is for that exemption just maybe for people listening to this. Um, I mean, Echo, you, you do a lot of tax immigrations, tax migration. So you help people to become non-resident or deemed non-resident uh, most of the time. Uh, there's obviously the other camp that, that then looked at financial or formal immigration as a route because, as you said, it shows intention. But ultimately, you had to prove as well that you have the ability not to return to South Africa. And then all of this lockdown stuff happened and people were forced to come back, uh, you know, uh, you know, some, many of them, I guess, people that, that could remain in the countries remain there if, if that is what they could do. But a lot of people suddenly you said they're not com coming back, they, they, they had to come back. So I guess the question that I want to ask you is, you know, now that, that the, and I always want to see this was an unforeseen event. I mean, this is really yeah. something weird out of a sci-fi movie. You know, I, I said to my wife the other day, it feels to me like I'm living in a movie, literally, because the stuff that's happening and the way we're dealing with this, I've only ever seen it in movies. And suddenly, like, you're in the middle of this whole thing. I don't know. It's luckily not The Walking Dead yet. But, you know, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. And, and, and I want to know, like, things that we've planned and things that you've done. You know, is there, is there, because of all of this that's happening now, uh, are there any problems that you've, that's now coming to the fore that maybe nobody ever thought would be a problem? Uh, or, or what are challenges that people maybe sit now with because of what's going on at the moment? Um, you know, is there some interesting interesting insights in terms of that? Because I know you help many clients, so I'm pretty sure there should be yeah. there should be some some, some give, things. Yeah, before before I want to give you a technical answer, I'm just on a bit more personal level because you do these podcasts in the mornings from eight to nine, 
And uh, you will see I have my uh, shirt on. I took my tie off after the lady said <laughs> this morning, why are we still stuck with ties? Yeah. <laughs> if, if I was to stand up, you'll see that I'm wearing my swimming costume underneath. It's <laughs> cool. I've but, got my um, sweatpants on, so that's cool. <laughs> and, and the other interesting thing is that because of the fact that I looked after expats, I am used to working at home. So I really feel for other people. It's like a movie. And you were really positive and thought, let's use this opportunity. I'm crying because suddenly all my clients are at home pestering me all day. When are you done? When are you finished? And the taxman hasn't opened the tax filing yet. So we can't do their tax immigration yet because um, it's in terms of the tax return, which he will only hopefully open by end of July. So uh, my life has, has always been remote clients. So suddenly um, everybody is joining my style of, of uh, or work style. But um, yes, we, we're now seeing a lot of problems. So those clients who, for example, got a tax domicile certificate, uh, let's take, uh, or certificate of residence in England or uh, UAE, they got that somewhere in April or May last year because it was around their tax filing time or their tax years. We have filed those as part of their 2019 tax returns. So for 2019, we tax immigrated them. For 20 February 2020, they are still tax immigrant. But now they came back in March and some April. So I don't know if you know that there are um, flights from SAA going out. We took Brazilians out last night. And it was amazing sitting here for the first time we heard an aeroplane in Cape Town. You know, it's like a noise that you always heard, but now suddenly you, you missed yeah. it. And then when you hear it, you realize it. Yeah, the same year, so sorry, because the, the planes come in from Durban and they turn over my house or just just, just off my house. So we, they turn to Lanceria. And then we also also see the planes obviously coming in from Cape Town. I mean, there's many of them in a day, and it is so quiet. And I don't know. It, sorry, this is a bit of the point, but it feels like the sky is so clean, even the stars yeah. at night. I don't know if we're just maybe more aware at the moment, or whether it, the skies are more clear. So, so that's an interesting observation as well. Well, for those who listen very carefully, can you hear the seagulls in the background? It's one of the things that we've picked up in Cape Town in Seapoint, where I live is that we can hear the seagulls. Eight o'clock at night when we start clapping the hands, um, we wake up all the seagulls. And you must hear that noise because I've actually did a video clip that I posted. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, I saw that. Anyway, that, was, that was quite amazing, by the way. Amazing. So, so now I have a Brazilian who is on a flight back to South Africa. He lost his job. Okay. The airlines there retrenched all the South Africans because they lost that uh, flight between Cape Town and, and Sao Paulo a long time ago. But they still kept them on because it was nice to have South Africans on. Now, they just said, sorry, there's your payback. So that guy's visa expired. He's coming back on that flight. Okay, so um, it seems there's Argentinians and Brazilians on that flight coming back, but he is coming back. I must tax immigrate him back into South Africa. Okay, so even if he did the ordinarily exit, he's now coming back and his intention is to come back. And that brings in very interesting tests to this intention. Imagine SARS asking all those people who said for the Reserve Bank, I intend to not come back for five years. And now suddenly they come back in this five years and, and saying, but then you did not have the ability as you could earlier mentioned. You had the intention, but you didn't have the ability. But those people just quickly about that, they can come back, there's no penalty. Okay, SARS will not reopen the previous tax returns because they were deemed non-resident because of a treaty, they safe. Now they no longer tax resident, so they now become tax resident again. This specific guy has a bit of a portfolio in, in foreign currency, and he has to value that shares. And I said to him, use your 31st of March shares, or we have to do 30 April. 
because he only gets uh, reports quarterly. So I'm sure that if they ask, we'll get it for April. But you know that most of the international guys end of March gave them a quarter report. Now, the base cost for those shares is the dollar value that they reported on 31st of March. So if the world recovers, he's going to have a substantial capital gain. Where someone returned last year while the American market was so hot, they had a very high base cost. So the date of your return impacts on your base cost. We call it base cost step up value. So yeah, we see that quite a bit of consequence, people coming back. There is no back taxes to pay, luckily, but also very important for those guys as they must look at their pension funds. That is probably the biggest message I want to give to them because the first thing he said to me is he wants to cash out his pension fund and put it into a South African RA. And I said, you know, if you leave at that side, current law says you retire, he's seven years from retirement, it's tax-free because you never contributed to that fund in South Africa. But the minute you bring that fund into South Africa and you go into an RA, I'm sad for my financial advisor colleagues who I'm now taking business away, but the tax law says that will become taxable in South Africa. So he, for tax purposes, may need to leave it outside. But on the other hand, you know, he is so worried about where the dollar is going. So I can't give that type of advice. And I said, your financial advisors must look at that. And, and ultimately, you know, we can give even whether you're a financial planner or whether you're a tax professional or an accountant, you know, we can give as much advice advice as we, we want and as we can. And, uh, you know, like tell a client that this is what you need to do. But I've, I've found that many of them is going to do what they want to do. If they decide on bringing that money back or whatever their, their reason may be, they will still do that. But at least they, they, they base that decision off of information that they had at the time. Versus a lot of people will like, oh, you've got uh, that money, you can bring it into an RA, but they don't consider tax, they don't ask the question, because a lot of people will just disregard that. And it's, it's a fight that I have regularly to say you cannot disregard tax when we do planning, and we would assume that everybody's taking it into account, but they're not. Um, I see it on a daily basis where either it's not my area of expertise, so I'm not a tax practitioner, that's the excuse. And I always explain, listen, the only time you need to be registered as a tax practitioner is if you charge fees for your advice or you prepare returns for a fee. Um, then, then you must be registered. But otherwise, if you just consider tax as part of your financial planning and you don't charge a particular fee for that, then, then there's no issue. And how can you do holistic financial planning if you don't consider that? And then if you don't want to, you need to bring in a tax professional you know, to work with you with that client. I think that's my message always. It's like, if you don't want to do it, that's cool because you don't like it or it's, it's above maybe your, your, your pay grade or what, however you feel about it. But never disregard it. There's no excuse to disregard tax when we do financial planning or to at least, at least get an opinion or input from somebody. Uh, you know? and, and I think in the previous episode, in episode 16, we also spoke, I think I mentioned it there, that a lot of people only find out about their peculiar situation when it comes to tax, when they land on the other side. They never get advice before they go. So they're so excited about packing their bags and going that they don't get advice. And then they find themselves and now they've got to sort out a South African tax issue and in the new country as well. You know, so taxes, whenever you make a decision, one should ask the question, you know, what, are there any tax consequences or, or implications yeah what about and, and for, yeah i want to quickly before we go to the next question just add a little bit of we now have another year of exchange control left so let's just add this exchange control advice because that is so important what you said you know it's the it's a, a bespoke advice it's tax and financial advice and a full you know what do you think where the country in the world is going to that gentleman specifically i said to him even if you bring the money back 
against my tax advice and you have other reasons for bringing it back. Current exchange control rules demand that you put that money into your own bank account in dollars, okay? So your pension fund abroad must pay into Yugo dollar account in America. Yugo dollar account sends to Yugo Rand account. And very important, the balance of payment or Bob code is 5117. Disinvestment other, 511 backslash seven. So now that money lands in South Africa. Your source of fund is clear because remember in the future, the Reserve Bank may ask, or the tax man, if it's post 2021, source of funds are becoming an issue. We in South Africa didn't really worry about source of funds. Now you can prove source of funds because you've got your letter to say, there's your pension payout. You've got your SWIFT transfer, bringing it in. And current exchange control rule says, you can take, if that landed as a million rand, you can forever in a day take a million rand out without a tax clearance certificate. So that is a bit of a freedom. So if you don't get the same dollar amount, your bad luck. If you get more dollars, your good luck. But the point is, please also look at the exchange control side. Don't throw that overboard. We still have those rules and comply with them because they are forcing us to keep a record or track of source of funds. And I think in the future, because of anti-money laundering rules, terrorism rules, source of funds is going to become our biggest challenge as tax advisors in the future. So please remember the exchange control advice. So that, that's actually a very important point you're making now, specifically if there's financial advisors listening to this, because what that means is if that money needs to pay out into Yehu's Rand bank account, if you now put that money into an RA, that means it's a voluntary contribution. So meaning you get a tax deduction for it. The other problem that you then sit with is that if that's a big amount, that's going to be well above whatever it is, your 27.5% or the 350 or whatever. Now you sit with a situation where the balance of that when you die is also a property in your estate. Because now it's I mean, a voluntary contribution. It's not being transferred over from directly from the pension fund overseas to the pension fund or the RA in South Africa. So that's important to understand that this becomes a voluntary contribution. It may be great. And yes, if you retire, you can offset it against 10, with 10C and against the lump sums and all of those kind of things. But just remember that the balance of the, of the disallowed contributions that you haven't used by the time you pass away will come back into your estate as well as, uh, as property in, in the estate. Now, interesting, and, and that, that's normal rule. So this gentleman, when I made that comment and said, you know, ask your fund if you can't transfer it tax-free from your fund to the South African fund, because I don't know if all countries have it, but remember the Curox in the old days with England, that's what we did. And he came back and um, because of uh, COVID and their circumstances, their government, as part of their tax incentives, gave it to them tax-free. So it made no difference. He didn't need to do it fund to fund, but very important. I think the first question that you need to ask, which you highlighted now, is, is there a benefit doing it fund to fund? Because then the exchange control rule is not that important. Then you're better off fund to fund. But if you have it as tax exempt, so for example, my clients in the UAE, they get the end of service awards. Those are tax free and it's not a pension fund. It's a by law. It's like a end of term service award, you know, so it's a very important part that I'd forgotten about that. And, and as a tax advisor, one shouldn't that that voluntary contribution is a deemed state dutiable asset. And as I said, this guy is 48, he's seven years from retirement. Yeah. Um, so. One more example, sort of what I'm thinking about is that a lot of people have, let's say that they owned a business here and they decide to, to emigrate or they move and go live and work in another country. They keep those shares, <clears throat> but they're not based here anymore. 
So it may be like, specifically, it's a family business. Maybe two of the children decide to to emigrate. Uh, maybe it's it's there are only two children, or maybe there are three. One stays here, two moves offshore. Um, you know, are there any consequences from from that point of view? Or on the other hand, as well, you you know you uh, they they leave South Africa, so they're not part of the business or anything, but then they inherit that business later on. So they became tax non-resident, you know, of, based on the treaty or, or that maybe they're not ordinarily resident anymore, but now they inherit this business from a parent or an uncle or someone, you know, and that business is based here. You know, what are some consequences there? And, and we, we are seeing that because I had a specific client where they um, sold their shares to show that they not have no intention coming back. So they sold it to the uh, remaining family or the remainers, as I call them. They had to pay capital gains tax, but if they tax immigrated, they would have anyway paid capital gains tax. But now at least they have cash to pay the capital gains tax. But that was on the shares at the top. The business below did not change in value. So there was no base cost step up. So it was an artificial valuation at the top. Now that specific client, um, he sold it to his parent, uh, father, and him and his sister were in Australia. Now, suddenly, they are inheriting father's shares back. So there's a business, there's a house within the company. So now, suddenly, in terms of the treaty, the treaty rules which said they were deemed to be solely tax residents in Australia because they only had an Australian home available, suddenly it changed. Now they have a um, house in South Africa. We must look at that. Then suddenly the next step in the tax treaty is if you have a home on both sides, now you must look at where is your central vital interest, which is a combination of where's your family and your wealth. This business they inherited is a substantial business. So suddenly their wealth in South Africa, despite the rand collapsing, is worth far more than the bit of pension they built up in Australia. Okay, because they, they're working for a salary where, yeah, they were part of a family business. So central vital interest now throws them back into South Africa. So the next one that we hope we can get them out is a bit to the boat. But now the problem is, now they have an asset in South Africa. We have to look at double tax treaty, capital gains tax valuation. If they now die, that asset is a state dutyable in this uh, state. Because remember, Australia has no treaty with us for state duty because they have no state duty. But South Africa says, if that asset is to South Africa, we're going to tax you. Even if you're non-resident, we're going to tax you. So... Everybody who's done a tax immigration, whether it was on ordinarily, breaking ordinary reasons, or doing treaty, you have to always look at life events. And if something like that happens, you need to speak to a tax advisor, an investment advisor, and someone who can now, because that client now needs a South African world. Because we will have to register that estate if one of them dies with our master because there's a South African asset in you see, also things become complicated. You think you you are cutting ties with South Africa, and in some in some instances you'll be able to do that if you've got no family, no nothing here anymore, uh, unless some some friend of yours <laughs> leave you something. Uh, but but you must always remember that things can get complicated. You may think that things are sorted out for now, but then later on they can it, they can things can happen that we don't have control over, and that can change that situation. So they always need to keep that in mind. And I think it's solid advice to say. Whenever there's a major life event or there's a whatever it is, you know what's happening. There's a big decision you got to make. Um, you know, even if it's something like changing jobs or something, you need to check in with your financial advisor. You need to check in with your tax professional and whoever is involved in your in your in your in your uh, you know your affairs, 
so that you can get the right information and have everything you need to make a proper decision. Because sometimes we think we do things that sounds great, uh, you know, our gut feel says it's great, and then uh, there's there's some legislation or some implication for you know that 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 impacts the the real benefit. And and when you think you're going to get something that's going to be, you know, to your benefit, as I said, then uh, it's actually not. So those things are important. But the, the the small things that I have questions about. I had a question last week from a uh, chef in uh, working in in France, and his baby was born, and he's too scared to register the baby in South Africa because of the, then it may bring him back as a tax resident. So I said to him, no, you don't need to worry about that because that's a birthright for that child. Because interesting, France would issue that child traveling documents, but that child can only at the age of 16 become French. And then he must have been in France the last eight years after 16 years. Okay. And being a chef, he said, I don't know where's my next job. It could be in Thailand. I'll go with the big hotel restaurants because he's in the catering um, industry, okay? So he'll go where the bigger hotel is. So people need not worry that small little things will put you back into the tax system. It's your child's birthright. Give him a South African passport. Let him at the age of 16 or 21, whatever the country's decision is, decide where he wants to come. So don't worry. Some of those life events have negative consequences like a capital gain, others won't. And, and People must just start, I think, relaxing because everybody fears and probably because there's so much misinformation out there. But I think the most important part is, even if you've left South Africa, don't fear calling back on a friend in South Africa. Call a friend, phone someone and ask, what is the impact and we'll help you. Yeah. Uh, then I want to get to, um, I, I just, if I can just summarize before I get to my next question is, you know what, whenever something happens, get advice. Even like that, you know, should I register my child, yes or no? Just ask the question. And even if the question in this case is, you know what, don't worry about it. No, you know, let him decide at some stage. There's no implication. Then you know, okay? So ask the questions. That's too, too few people don't want to ask questions because they don't want to look stupid or they don't want to spend the time or they're in a hurry. They just, you know, some people are just naturally, like, I just want to get it done. It's just, this thing yeah. is, uh, is, is a distraction for me. Um, last year in the in the budget speech and then in the memorandum of incorporation, oh, memorandum of incorporation. Where am I falling out now? <laughs> in the in the um, when the when the draft taxation laws amendment bill, the first draft came out, uh, and that they they spoke about that they are looking to allow employers who's got uh, people working uh, outside of South Africa on their behalf. Uh, so in other words, if they are if they are responsible for collecting pay as you earn from employees because they resident uh, in that sense the, the 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 business itself, when they have people working overseas, they still have that responsibility to to deduct pay as you earn from them. And there was the suggestion that that be amended so that the employer will be allowed in order to reduce the pay as you earn if that employee is also paying tax on the other side. And I'm oversimplifying now. And as far as I understand, that has now been been implemented in January. Uh, so it's now it, it's now how it is. But uh, you know, I don't know if people know. Uh, you know, who's responsible for that? How do you go about? I mean, you can't just decide that you're going to deduct less pay as you earn. I'm pretty sure there's there should be a process or something. Um, how does that work? Is, uh, is it is it now implemented? And then if it is, yeah, how, how how do we go about sorting that? So just to give a bit of background, so from that um, process we had when we made the comments on the draft bill asking for that change, they came back, and this is very critical to this process, is that the tax credit 
will be given to the taxpayer when he tax files. So this process does not remove the obligation of every expat to keep record of what he's paying tax that side. So they said they're not going to change Section 6 Quad. It remains your obligation as taxpayer on assessment to claim the credit. And remember, each expat is a provisional taxpayer. So first of all, their first obligation to pay tax if they are not employed by a South African employer is 31st of August, provisional tax. Okay, so that's the first deadline for South Africans living abroad that remains tax resident. Yeah, okay. Sorry, can I just, I just want to clarify before we move on. So every person that's working overseas because Section 10102 changed and there's now a capped limit, which means you may or may not be liable for tax in South Africa, okay, depending on how much you earn now, where previously you would f- be fully exempt, okay, if, it, if, you, if you complied with that section. But what you're saying now is that now you have to, to submit provisional tax returns if you, if you work overseas. Is that that's a requirement now? On SARS's webpage, it actually says anyone employed by a company that has no employee number in South Africa is deemed a provisional taxpayer. It's on their provisional taxpayer page now okay, okay but but does that so but does that must be a null return some people must do null returns they will not yeah. be exposed but you're so correct to say you must do the null return but does that mean that if the so so that's when the employer is not liable for pays you earn in south africa yeah so you work for a foreign what, employer yeah yeah but what if i work for a south african company and they <laughs> sent me offshore am i still then supposed to register for provisional tax or submit you don't register anymore do you they need to submit provisional tax returns yeah then 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 you're interestingly not that's where i'm going then you're not a provisional taxpayer so yeah, your escape thanks. is then the fact that you are paying monthly tax there could be other reasons why you're a provisional taxpayer and most people is triggered because they're renting their home out in south africa so it's the rental income that makes them a provisional taxpayer but in that um, uh, process that you refer to we did a lot of lobbying to change section six squat now SARS has not fully addressed the issue because in countries like nigeria you don't get an assessment it's just a final deduction so we still don't know exactly how we're going to prove that credit, but Six Squad says if if you want to claim it, you must be able to prove it. So what they said is for provisional or for pay as you earn, the employer need not submit evidence. You still have to go through this directive. So some people, and it's called IRP in three in bracket Q. So some people call it the Q directive as a short. Other people call it the FTC foreign tax credit directive. So what they've brought as a middle way and, and meeting us halfway is to say that they will give you a directive to lower your monthly withholding tax in South Africa. <clears throat> they want some supporting documents and a covering letter, but it's not the final assessment. The individual, the employee must still at the end tax file. So what happened now is they said, this is this new FTC or Q directive, which the employer can file for. So on each form is up to four spaces. And in the uh, manual that they gave with it, you can just copy that page and have multiple. So each company only has to do one application with all the employees. And only if they send another person during the year, do they need to send. Okay. So it's very important to understand that this is not something you can do yourself. Okay. Because it is only if the employer has a seven pays your earn number in South Africa. Okay. And many companies are doing this because it's the cash flow problem. Because now in the past, 
they never had to worry about PAGEO and deductions because the interpretation note 16 version 2 said you could switch off PAGEO earn at risk that if the guy came back too early and he failed then you will be held liable but a lot of people switched off because they knew chances are very small that they would be PAGEO now suddenly with this 125 1.25 million excess being taxable there is this risk okay so now they brought this uh, process in. And for those who want to look for it on the SARS webpage, you call it directives under paragraph 10 of the fourth schedule. So the section giving the exemption is section 10, so easy to remember. And the directive is in terms of paragraph 10 of the fourth schedule. So that fourth schedule speaks to the employer, section 10 speaks to the employee. And then section six squad. So even those guys that are in countries where there's no treaty, they can claim the tax, it's a unilateral section, six quarters unilateral tax credit. But treaties also allow for tax credit. Okay. And then um, are, they, are there situations where SARS won't consider such an application uh, or is do they have to consider an, an application? Yeah. <clears throat> they, they clearly said that they will not issue it to employees that are below 1.25 million. So in our, um, I've now had a case where we applied for seven employees and one was at, uh, at that stage uh, at 1.2. And we, in the covering letter said, it's only 500,000, yeah, 50,000 away. And if the RAND weakens, he can be subject to tax or if he gets additional fringe benefits. And SARS came back and said, no, current status, we're not gonna issue the director. But they did issue for the other six employees. Okay, so the first one where they throw that out, is if the person is below current exchange rate at 1.25. Now that's a little bit problematic because they using the spot rate for that month, where as we know, we're gonna use the average. Most people are gonna use the average tax rate. So that's the first one that they will decline. The other one is if the person is in a country where there is no tax. Okay, so for example, and there we had one or two problems with SARS, not me personally, but colleagues I helped. They had employees that are sitting in Guernsey and they're in the financial industry. And SARS said they're not going to issue directives. It's a tax haven. And we had to remind SARS that companies does not pay tax in Guernsey, but employees pay up to 20% flat tax. Okay. So now they have issued it. So there is resistance from SARS. They're not just going to issue it, but that speaks to the attachment letter. It's very important that part of the requirement is they want a detailed like business case. Why are you doing it? And I said to my client, you know, one of the problems you did is you should have in your covering letter said, there is the proof of the tax my client has paid. This would have removed a rejection. So we must try and think how that person sits on the other hand. And unfortunately, we have to realize it's human nature. You get to page one, oh no, throw it away. You didn't read page two, okay? So upfront start and say, I'm doing this because my seconded employees is in a country that pays tax attached is the proof thereof okay because that is the first hurdle you must pass is to show that i'm responsible for page earn and my employee is already paying page on the other side so it's more a case of not who cannot it is who can okay but then the other people that they will not entertain okay and that is a bit of a problem at the moment because i don't see that in the law it's forbidden Okay, I have a client that is tax resident in America. He's never lived in South Africa. He works for the UCT for UCT. 
UCT deducts pays you earn every month because they pay him every month. Okay. SARS and the frequent answered question said you may not use quote 3652 anymore. So now they're deducting pays you earn. So we hope that we could try this. We tried and it was declined. I still believe this directive can work. Okay, because interesting in the and in the fourth schedule, it doesn't say it's for non-residents. It says it's for employees that are subject to tax in South Africa and it causes financial hardship. Okay. But at this stage, add in the requirement the person must be tax resident in South Africa. So SARS is checking that. If you are now, so in the next round, we will try and explain away why this client is not tax resident, but subject to pay you earn. Because a lot of the um, payroll administrators are going to say, you know, we just fear so much. We are, can't make that decision. We are not the taxing authority. So where we have these big institutions running payrolls, remember, they're just not prepared to take that risk for the guy at the bottom. So it is for seconded staff and then <clears throat> Uh, SARS is quite happy that you give them a list of what they call affected staff. Okay. And it's also very important for the employees, uh, employers to then look at their UIF because in most cases, the UIF can be switched off. Okay. And you must also look um, the answer I'm still looking and if there's people who knows the answer is your um, COID, the workman's comp, um, whether that's switched on, off or not because that's an annual payment, not per employee, but on your payroll. Just do you count this can you then strictly say this directive, the aggregate value, I can take out of that payroll for uh, workman's comp. But this directive is very important in cash flow management, UIF skills development, and then for my employees that are now not paying the full tax in South Africa, they make it very clear this is a directive, it's not an assessment. So if it comes towards the end of the year and the underpaid page earn, you are going to pay it up, uh, top it up on your assessment. If you were a provisional taxpayer because of the rental income, you have to pay it yourself by end of February because then you must be 90% correct or most people 80% correct. So for most people, this is a cash flow sweetener. It's not a final outcome as we wanted. So that explanatory memorandum, unfortunately, we tried hard, we didn't get that through. So the final assessment is the final answer. That's the thing about a directive. It's the same as a, your your travel. You know, you can, if or let's say, yeah, with if you have a company car. I mean, the the employees they can if they're happy that you're going to travel eighty percent of your travel for business purposes, they can withhold pay as you earn on only twenty percent of the value of that fringe benefit. But at the end of the day, the full value still remains taxable. It's still up to you to prove to SARS on assessment that you actually did use and you do it via logbook. So this is the same. Whenever you get a directive, I think a lot of people think, you know, taxpayers specifically think that I get a, let's say if you if you work for commission and you, you get a 20% or an 18, everybody goes for an 18% directive and I don't know how they do their calculations, but they show SARS that uh, they qualify for 18%. SARS issues that directive and then at the end of the day, you know, they need to pay in because they're, the effective tax rate is maybe 27 or 30, whatever percent it is effectively, because they don't have, either they earned a lot more than what they thought they were going to earn, or they don't have the deductions that they said uh, to SARS that they would have. So one would need to understand is that your full income is always taxable. Uh, you can deduct your exemptions and your deductions and all of those good things. And then you, you, you see whatever tax you need to pay, you need to pay. So if you can't prove that you have the foreign tax credits, for example, and SARS did give you the directive, you would have to pay in if you can't prove. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the bottom line. 
Uh, a directive is not this is what your tax is now going to be. It is not that. It only allows the other party who needs to withhold pay as you earn to withhold a different amount than what they would normally be required to withhold. That's all a directive is. It is not a guarantee that that is what my tax is going to be. And I think that's where a lot of people misunderstand you know, what a directive is. And as I say people, I'm talking about just a normal person doing, you know, working the taxpayer out there. Uh, they, I think there may be a, a bit of a misconception uh, around that. Igor, um, is there anything else uh, you think that, that uh, people need to know about, you know, whether it's expat tax or, or interesting changes, anything with regards to tax that we need to consider? You know, even if you think my audience is also a lot of financial advisors, you know, is there anything that they maybe need to consider when, when doing planning for clients? Uh, is there anything that you want to add? Well, yeah, so probably not for the individuals, but for the companies who are um, paying the, over this pay as you earn, um, they do qualify for this 20% that you can short pay. You, you're still going to pay it, but you can short pay. But remember, it's only for April. It starts in April month. So the m amount due today, was it yesterday, for March, you still had to pay in full. It is only for the April month, okay? But very important for the financial planners, okay, is that... If there is retirement annuities that you are increasing, that you make your client aware that they can deduct that from provisional tax in August, because by August there's no certificate yet, but he's entitled to deduct that. So one of the other examples, and that's the last thing that I maybe want to share with you, and, and um, it's my uh, assumption, I get a bit of uh, pushback from, from uh, other colleagues, but if we look at the frequent asked question page that SARS updated, so they, the third version is out, which now refers to 1.25 million. So interesting, this um, the, the, the uh, uh, booklet on the directive, <coughs> which looks like this, is unfortunately still at a million rand. Yeah, I, saw, you know, read one, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Read 1.25 million, okay? Um, <coughs> is that now with the rand fluctuating like this, we have a big problem. And we found an answer in the frequent asked question saying, you can deduct the 1.25 million every month until it's utilized. So if this client is going to earn 2 million, but by August he's only earned a million, you don't need to deduct pay as you earn before September. Okay. So that they gave us guidance in the pay as you earn rules. For provisional tax, the guidance rule says you must estimate for the year and then you must pay half the tax in August. And that's strictly correct. But I'm now saying I do not think SARS can penalize you if you deduct it. You didn't half the 1.25. You took the 1.25 in the first six months because they allow it for employers. Therefore, it would be for your provisional tax. Because if you don't do that, the person who has this directive is going to have a huge problem. Because his employer didn't deduct pays you earn because frequent asked question somewhere in, in the 40s said you can deduct the 1.25 million in the first six months. Now, when you as financial advisor do the same, you're going to get a different answer and you're going to tell your guy pay in and it's going to be too much. So to equal that play, I have sent that to uh, Treasury specifically saying that there's a policy issue now in the provisional tax that does not align with the pays you earn. And that's the example of the cases. So that is very important. And, and we're in a, in a transitional period. Remember that the, the penalty says if you apply your mind and you can show, then SARS has to reverse those penalties. So whatever you do, keep that calculations. Make sure your client signs off on it. 
And if he has an HR that's approachable, that they maybe just have a look at that. Okay. I know employees don't like that because they're now giving too much information to the employer again. But it's, um, you know, if you don't want to do it, I fully respect it. But it's just one of those, we're in a transitional year and we must just be mindful that SARS needs money. Okay. And penalties, as you've seen, is computer generated. That computer has no mind. It says, tick the box, you underpaid, there's the penalty. And we need to build up the case to show that we did the right amount of work. Awesome. This. Yiko, thank you very much. I think this is a very powerful and insightful uh, discussion that we've had. Uh, thank you very much for the update and, and for taking the time to chat to us today. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I look forward if there's any comments or anything, you know, people can, can leave comments on our uh, on this episode on the website at propulsion.co.za. And, uh, yeah, I, I wish you well. Uh, you know, stay sane during this period of time. We're recording this in April 2020. You know, this is lockdown in South Africa currently. Uh, so whenever you listen to this, uh, you know, uh, things may have changed by, by, by that time. You know, thank you for the opportunity. And, and we're sitting in a strange situation that um, we're three people sharing the house and one has a birthday today. And it was, it's probably the weirdest time to have a birthday, you know. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> he's going to have cake without icing sugar on because we don't have the <laughs> ingredients in the house. Yeah. And we luckily still have a bottle of wine left. So we will have nice. a bottle of wine tonight. Great. Um, but it's, it's quite interesting times. And um, so I had to say we live in an apartment block. So I've sent notices to the neighbors and said, uh, it's only three people, but expect a noise. <laughs> <laughs> expect there to be celebration. <laughs> so you can either and, join uh, or you can just keep quiet. It's, it's your choice. Yeah, but thank you for what you've done to make it us realize, you know, that working from home ain't that bad. Mm. And the new norm is probably in a very interesting norm. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank awesome. you. Very much. It's a pleasure. Ichu, I wish you well and we'll chat soon. Thank you. Cheerio, bye-bye. Cheers, eh? Thank you for listening to Propulsion. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. This will help us tremendously. For more about Propulsion and other valuable information, please visit our website at propulsion.co.za.